This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Jordan Reed is joining us. He's ESPN's draft analyst. He is awesome. I've been hinting for like five weeks, not hinting, teasing that we were going to have a draft expert on. Um, I'm incompetent, so it didn't work. Um, but now we finally have it, finally have a quarterback expert to break this down. I loved this conversation. We talked not only about CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and how those evals went and, and what those evals said about what's happening this year. And then obviously Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison. He gives his third and fourth best quarterbacks in the draft class, which is I was looking at some mock drafts this morning. There's a lot of different opinions on who the third best quarterback of like Bo Nix is in a bunch of these mock drafts. I saw one that had Bo Nix going sixth to the Rams. Don't know about that one. Only because, first of all, if Matthew Stafford still exists. He's If he's healthy, he's better than a lot of these young quarterbacks. And also... Does Sean McVay want a young quarterback or does he want a mid-career guy who just runs the McVay offense? Open question. Um, But I want to talk about these mock drafts because I'm starting to get fascinated by the different scenarios because a lot of these teams that we thought were going to tank or not and a lot of these teams, and I had said at the beginning of the year, they were going to need some accidental tanks. And the Patriots are a great example. I got a a listener question the other day saying, are the Patriots just secretly tanking and this is the best kind of facade you could possibly put on and they're going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May? Uh, I don't think so. I I, I will give the Patriots so much credit for so many things, but they're, I promise you, not covertly tanking. Um, They're just bad. They have a bad roster. Um, By the way, not to get in too much into the, the Patriots thing, but I, I was on Tom Curran's podcast with Phil Perry this week, and they were talking about where this is headed. And I was I was wondering whether or not you'd even want to give Bill Belichick a young quarterback. We've had that talk on this before. Um, but it was interesting because I kept saying that I thought Bill Belichick would get an extra year, and now I don't know. We, we get an extra year longer than like Brian Dable would get in this situation, right? Um, he would get a, a grace period. Um, does he want a year where the you know everybody's giving him parting gifts and the Jets are buying him a canoe or whatever, like Mariano Rivera? Probably not. But then Curran said something I've been thinking about ever since. He said, was this the bonus year? Would a normal coach have already been fired and this was the bonus year? Because they have the fifth overall pick right now. Where are they going to go with that? I saw a couple of, of ideas that they would take a lineman, try to build that way. Mac Jones is trending out of the building. Um, but this is, this is kind of what I want to go through because I'm fascinated by Trevor Sykema at PFF this morning had a really interesting mock draft where he said the Giants would trade up with Arizona for the first overall pick. And the reason I find this fascinating is the Kyler Murray, he's cleared to play on Sunday, the Kyler Murray relationship with Jonathan Gannon and the offensive staff there seems to be a lot better than maybe we thought it was going to be. This changes the entire draft because the Cardinals were supposed to 
control the draft and take the quarterback of their choice plus somebody else with a Texans pick. By the way, the Texans pick is not going to be very good because the Texans are good and they found a really good quarterback. We're going to break that down in a second with Jordan Reed. But is it not possible that Arizona could get the first overall pick and control not just this draft, but like multiple drafts going forward? Is it possible that the Texans trade for three and then another trade if they get a top two pick might turn into sort of a like Herschel Walker-esque, not obviously not one-to-one, but just like a situation where Arizona could go out and get, so let's let's follow the thread that Trevor Sikama put out, put out there. And they go from one to four or one to five. And they're able to get someone like Olu Fashano of Penn State. Or they're able to get Brock Bowers. Or they're able to get maybe Marvin Harrison if something weird happens as far as that goes. So the Bears would take Drake May second and Marvin Harrison third with the Panthers pick. Something like that. But we're getting into a situation where if the Cardinals, and maybe, by the way, maybe Kyler comes back and is, is wins a bunch of games and we're not even having this discussion. But the top of the draft is getting so fascinating to me. What do, as I said earlier, what do the Rams do with the top 10 pick? What do the Packers do with the top 10 pick? The Packers are, are, are right now in the seven slot. And Trevor Sikama has them taking the OT out of Oregon State. Um, the Bucks, who we thought were going to be a top two contender, are picking eighth. The Broncos, ninth. The Titans, I think they're going to win more games with Will Levis, 10th. Chargers 11th. But we're starting to see how this is developing. And it's becoming very, very interesting. Washington at four and five is getting out of the range of a quarterback. And we thought that Josh Harris, process guy, maybe you take a step back. Well, Ron Rivera wants to win a bunch of games to save his job. Sam Howell needs to win a bunch of games to save his job. Everybody's everybody seems to be doing okay as that goes. By the way, if Sam Howell, I saw a column today. If Sam Howell plays really well, does that save Marty Herney and Ron Rivera's job? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Josh Harris wants to be a patience guy. Doesn't want to be David Tepper. Um, boy, that David Tepper wishes he had the second overall pick in this draft. Um, but I don't know. We're just starting to see this all shake out. Raiders at four and five. They've won too many games, even though they fired their coach. Um, I think it's going to come down to sort of that second cut of quarterbacks, whether that's Bo Nix, whether that's Riley Leonard, someone I don't really know, J.J. McCarthy, Sam Howell, Sam Howell, uh, Sam Hartman, Notre Dame, maybe he he gets in there, Michael Penix gets in there, um, not Tyler Van Dyke from Miami because he's got the yips. But those are the type of quarterbacks that are going to places like Vegas and Washington if Sam Howell doesn't do the job. Atlanta. Like, what's Atlanta going to do? They're going to make the playoffs. Um, so I'm starting to be more fascinated by this draft than I have for any draft in years. And part of this is I had said a couple of years ago, I had said, you know, this is the draft everybody's been circling since these guys were freshmen. Since Caleb Williams is a freshman, since Marvin Harrison was a freshman, Brock Bowers is a freshman. Everybody said, oh, everybody says that every year. Rose looking at the next draft. No, trust me. People in the NFL were circling this draft. This is the draft that changes legacies of a bunch of teams. That's why Chicago are Chicago's accidentally going to become a good franchise because they have two and three. 
They cannot, I know I shouldn't say this, they cannot screw this up. They cannot screw up two and three. I know I shouldn't say that about the Chicago Bears, but if they get two and three in this draft and they just take Drake May, Marvin Harris, and they don't overthink it, they don't take the tackle and try to try to build like the Justin Fields thing is head, heading south, they can't screw this up. So that's why this is the most important draft in years is because teams that are poorly run will accidentally become good. I know that's, again, I, I know that sounds stupid to say, but it's going to happen. That's it. For more on this, here's Jordan Reed. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas? Affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino? Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Jordan Reed is here, a guy I've wanted to get on the show for a long time. We've never done any content together. He is ESPN's draft analyst. He's one of my favorite Twitter follows. And to talk draft quarterbacks, there's nobody better right now. What's going on, Jordan? Pleasure being here, Kevin. It's been forever since we've really crossed paths, and now we're finally on the show together. So I'm excited. Let's do this, man. Let's create some content. So this is the week I feel like we need to start talking seriously about last year's draft quarterbacks and next year's draft quarterbacks. And they're not necessarily two separate conversations um, because when I looked at CJ Stroud last year, especially with the draft, so the Texans go all in on this year. They accelerate the timeline. They take CJ Stroud second. They take Will Anderson third. And I said, what the hell are you doing? The Arizona Cardinals not control the draft. Uh, why would you do it this year when you've got Caleb, uh, Caleb Williams and Drake May next year and then maybe a, a third quarterback? Like, what the heck are you doing? All of a sudden, CJ Stroud not only – rewrites the rookie record books, but he's making NFL throws like six of eight beyond 20 yards um, in the air on Sunday against the Bucks. Um, just finding holes in defenses that guys who've been in the league 10 years can't find. Um, I was stunned by it. 
And I'll start here. Um, and this is a question I've posed a couple of times because I got the listener question on Sunday and I've been thinking about it ever since. You're Nick Casario. Right now, someone says to you, first overall pick next year or CJ Stroud. My guess is Nick Casario hangs up the phone. What do you think? Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, the thing that CJ is doing right now is just unbelievable. And a lot of people say that they've seen this coming, but I don't think anybody's seen how well no. he's playing right now coming. Nobody saw, like, historic rookie records, almost thrown for 500 yards in the first half of his uh, rookie season. Nobody saw this coming. Like, and I was a huge CJ Stroud fan, but – like just watching the Bucks game from last week, the stuff that he's doing and stuff that 10 to 12 year veteran quarterbacks are doing in the league. And it's just, not, it's just stuff you don't see for rookies. Like he's throwing hot reads. He's anticipating passes. He's making uh, checks at the line of scrimmage. He's ripping up some of the top defenses in the league. Like the Bucks have a good defense. They're playing really good this yep. year on the defensive side. And he made them look like they're one of the worst defenses in the league. So the way the game <laughs> yeah. is already slow for him, it's just stuff that you don't see from a rookie quarterback, especially with as little experience as C.J. Stroud does have. I completely agree with you. The game looks slow for him, which I think is the best thing you can hope for for, for a rookie because the speed of the game is so dramatic. And I think most people know that by now. But like, however fast you think it is at the NFL level, it's significantly faster. I'm curious if I'm a scout and I'm thinking about what we saw at the college levels from Stroud that was the key to what we're seeing here. Like, what did you see at Ohio State that made you think that you were a C.J. Stroud guy and what has carried over as far as his game goes? I actually tweeted this out during the time of the combine, Kevin, and it was the only way that I could put actually watching him throw in person just because I wasn't able to actually live scout him during his junior year, which is just seeing him in person for those that don't know what live scouting is. So Connor Stallions, the Connor Stallions. There you go. (laughs) But just sitting behind him at the combine, it was just like watching the ace pitcher at a baseball game. And you've been to a million Mm -hmm. baseball games in your life. All of us have. When you watch an ace pitcher on the mound, everything just looks so natural and easy for him. And that's what the game looks like for him. He has so many different clubs that he can go to in his bag. Um, everything just comes natural to him. The game's so slow. And even though he was thrown to receivers that he had never thrown to at the combine, it looked like he had been playing pitch and catch with those guys for his entire life. So, and that's what we're seeing with the Texans. Like the game is just so slow to him. And I can't say that enough just because the learning curve for quarterbacks, young quarterbacks specifically, is usually monumental for them. Like you have an avalanche of information that you have to worry about at the line of scrimmage, but he's handling every single one of them easily. And I think that's been the biggest surprise with CJ Stroud, just how quickly he's overcome that learning curve. But now He's not making mistakes that we see from young that young quarterbacks make. I think he only has one interception and 14 touchdowns yeah. this year, which is remarkable for a young quarterback. And I don't even think – I think that next year they'll be better. They can go out and they can spend money. There's some cap flexibility there. But, like, there's no reason they can't win a bunch of games this year. Like, they're ready to win. Like, D'Amico Ryan's is a really good coach. And, you know, like, just even – like week to week, I did a Joe Burrow story a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, um, and I remember talking to the the Bengals staff. They're talking about D'Amico Ryan's and how basically like nobody gave them more problems than D'Amico Ryan's did a couple of years ago, where he basically changed their entire defensive identity in San Francisco just to play Joe Burrow. Like he's a week to week coach. He's really good on the offensive side of the ball. Bobby Slowick has some some really good ideas. Like this team, I, I know I said accelerating the timeline as far as team building goes, we might be accelerating the timeline as far as just like pushing for a playoff spot if this continues. 
and it's not like the division is great, right? Besides no. the Jaguars, there isn't really much of a threat in the South, but I think you're spot on as far as this team, if, as far as the team you want to buy stock in, this is the one you want to buy stock in going into 2024. And they're kind of similar to the Lions as far as the hype that they received coming into the season. Yeah. I think this is going to be the darling for everybody going into 2024, just because you look at the young pieces on both sides of the ball. Nick Casario has done a really good job of fitting off some draft picks on every single day of the draft. And then it changes everybody's lives in the building when you hit on a franchise quarterback. Now you're talking about building up everything around him. And they still have some a ways to go on offense as far as some of the pieces that they need as far as a running game. And then also I like some of the young receivers that they do have, but I still think they need that true wide receiver one on the perimeter for CJ Stroud. And they have some pieces that they lack defensively. So Nick Casario, I mean, they're playing with house money right now. <laughs> I think the Jaguars are run for their money. I'm excited about this team. I completely agree. And, and especially in the next couple of years, like, I think the yeah. Jaguars probably looked around and were like, heck, we got a nice little runway here. Uh, I don't know about that in the division. Um, I think it's going to be tighter. But yes, it changes everybody's life when you hit on this. Anybody in Houston can either, if you're renting, you can buy. And if you're buying, you can add addition to your house um, over the next couple of years because things are going to be good. Um, all right, let's dig, dig into Bryce Young here. Um I get so worried when I start to see things go south a little bit because especially with ownership group that has been less patient with people. And I'm not some huge Frank Reich guy by any means, but like you don't want to get in a situation where you're changing play callers all the time, play, changing head coaches all the time. If, if that came to so some headlines, basically where insiders are saying you could never really predict what David Tepper is going to do. He's, he's, he's cut bait obviously on that rule before maybe people thought that was going to happen. Um, I guess the question is, is there something that Bryce Young was doing at Alabama that has not translated over to the NFL game just yet? I honestly don't even think what's happening right now is much of Bryce Young's fault, honestly. I just think what they're trying to do and then the personnel that they do have, it just doesn't match. And I was really excited about this coaching staff coming into uh, their first year. Thomas Brown, I'm still a big fan of him. He's the play caller sure. now in Carolina. Frank Reich, we know what – He's able to do offensively, uh, bringing Jim Caldwell in, I thought was a great addition. Josh McCown, yeah. we know what he was able to do and the expertise that he has and the wealth of experience he has as well. So I was really excited about this staff coming in, but it's just such a lack of personnel that they do have. And they're depending on Adam Thielen, a 32-year-old wide receiver, who I think <laughs> yeah. is a glorified wide receiver too right now. Um, yep. He was feeding off of Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, and I think that's the role that you want Thielen playing. You don't want to have them as your number one guy. So I think just the lack of personnel. And then the offensive line has taken such a massive step backward this year, uh, which is very, very disappointing for a lot of people. They're just – Ike Kwanu hasn't turned out the way that they envisioned for him when they took him in the top ten a couple of years ago. And then some of the pieces up front, um, they've suffered some injuries too. So the offensive line hasn't been great. So it's just been a snowball effect for a lot of things that's happening there. But the biggest thing is – some of the stuff that they're trying to do offensively, they just don't have the talent on the perimeter for what they want yeah. to do. So their offense is pretty much turned into quick screens, running back screens, then a bunch of perimeter stuff um, as far as in the east and west direction. They're trying to push the ball a little bit north and south, but Bryce Young just doesn't have the time to do that. And you saw that in the Colts game uh, last week a lot of times of where they're trying to do some things down the field, but he just doesn't have the time for those things to develop. And before you know it, he starts pressing and throwing a couple of pick sixes yeah. last week. 
hundred percent. And I think it gets confused sometimes. People say, well, he doesn't have the great supporting cast. He doesn't have the time, but he's also making these boneheaded mistakes. Those two things are married. Like when you start pressing and you try to start to say, I have to do everything I can to, to put this franchise on my back because nobody else will. That's when you start throwing boneheaded pick sixes on screens, you know, stuff like that, where, where it shouldn't be happening, but it does. Um, I'm just going to give Bryce Young more time. And like, it's, it's, it sucks for him and sucks for everybody in Carolina that CJ Stroud is having this much success this much, this early. Like yeah. the other day, somebody emailed me when I was opening up their listener question saying, if you redrafted, would Levis go before Bryce Young? And it's like, well, can we calm down? <laughs> yeah. Like I actually, I like some of Will Levis's throws, but Will Le- I actually like, I'm a huge fan of Will Levis, but he kept trying to throw the same interception over and over and over again until the Steelers finally did it the other day. Yeah. Um, like this is I, I, like everybody just calm down young quarterbacks all right we'll be back we're going to break down the college quarterbacks with jordan reed next speaking of let's go into the top two quarterbacks um next year we'll start with caleb williams it's it stinks for everybody that alex grinch or by extension lincoln riley let's start with there. lincoln riley i feel like wasted a potential playoff national title run because of his stubbornness on the defensive side of the ball. They put up 42 points on Saturday. It didn't matter because Washington put up 50, 52. Um, I do not in any way look down on Caleb Williams for showing emotion when you realize the weight of that. And I, I was frankly surprised at, at, at some of the, the discourse around that. A lot of, a lot of players cry after game. I, I've say, I, I tell you what, I've, you've been to a lot of college games. I've been to a lot of college games. A lot more tears than you think. It just doesn't show up because it's not happening in the stands. He's not the most famous guy in the world uh, in, in college football. Um, but his season this year, I feel like it's just kind of an extension of last year. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you've noticed things that he's he's grown at, gotten better at. He was on my show a couple months ago, the show previous to this one. And basically, so the thing he was working on was just being – acting like a pro as far as the preparation goes, as far as the studying goes, as far as that stuff, the mental game is what he was working on. Um, what have you seen from Caleb Williams this year? And has anything happened to, to make him not the number one overall pick? So just to back up a little bit, what's always funny to me, and I call this the draft prospect spotlight, before quarterbacks mm-hmm. are draft eligible, they're seen like the best thing. Like everybody was right. praising how amazing Caleb Williams was during this freshman and his sophomore year. But as, as soon as soon as he's draft eligible, it's like everybody wants to poke a million holes in this game. And it happened with Trevor Lawrence. Exactly it right. happened with a bunch of other quarterbacks too. They're praised the first two years out of high school. But as soon as they're draft eligible, it's like everybody begins to poke holes in them. So I knew it was going to happen to Caleb, and we're starting to see it a little bit now. Um, but I still love him. Like I love Caleb Williams as a prospect. He has plenty of things to work on, but as far as just the physical talent that you're getting with him, this is something that we haven't seen um, in quite some time. And I put him on the same tier as Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. I don't put anybody on the tier with Andrew Luck just because he was like the perfect prospect <laughs> to me. Yeah. But if we're just trying to compare the type of prospect that Caleb Williams is, he's on that tier with Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence to me. And yes, he doesn't have the resume from a wins standpoint, but if we're just talking about the physical talent and how he quickly can alter a franchise, I think Caleb Williams walking through the door can have that type of effect. Just the arm talent that he plays with, um, the funky arm angles, and something that I thought was funny just writing on my scouting report, like if there was a such thing as rock skipping championships, he would be number one. Like he would be the (laughs) ultimate contender. Like he could skip a rock through any lake yep. in America. <laughs> like he's that physically I love gifted that. from some of the arm angles that he plays with. 
um, the way he's able to process, read and react, and then the scrambling ability, just the miraculous plays that you get with him. But the one thing that he's going to have to learn, and this is usually what happens with all Lincoln Riley quarterbacks, and it's kind of a disservice that he does for them, is that he doesn't give them a lot of outlet options. So dumping it off to the running mm-hmm. back, getting positive yards, things like that, he doesn't really provide that a lot in his offense. So what happens a lot of times and what you saw with Kyler Murray and even Jalen Hurts to an extent during his time at Oklahoma is that they feel as if they have to put their Superman cape on just because there isn't a lot of outlets in their offense. So they're running around making these miraculous throws when there's oftentimes where they don't have have to uh, just because if they had that outlet option or that if they had to run it back in the flats that they could dump it off to, they could get it in their hands quick. But with Caleb, he doesn't have that option a lot of times. So he has to run around and make these miraculous throws and put that Superman cape on that he kind of feels as if he has to do it a little bit more than normal. And then you put on top of that, his defense has given up 40 to 50 points a game. So he feels as if he has to put that Superman cape on all the time. So it's become a little bit more than what he has to do. And now it's kind of a situation of where he feels as if he has to be in Superman mode all the time. So what he's going to have to learn on the next level is that it's okay to take two to three yeah. yards at a time or dump it into the running backs in the flat and hope he gets eight or nine yards after that reception. So I think that's going to be one of the biggest learning curves for him. Just it's okay to hit a single or a double and not a home run or yeah. a grand slam every single time. It's funny because Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks after Mahomes popped um, did a great uh, episode about why they missed on him. Why, why did they have him first overall, right? And what DJ said was he didn't realize that because Texas Tech was in 65 to 62 games over and over and over again, the Mahomes always felt like he had to make the perfect pass. And that's when you end up making mistakes. So it's interesting um, that you said that about putting on the Superman cape. Like no quarterback can be Superman on every snap of every yeah. play. And if you've got Alex Grinch as D.C., you probably have that mindset, frankly. Um, and that's why I think you're, you're two years too late um, when, when you're firing him. Um, all right. So Drake May to a very strange run of games. Um, I saw this firsthand with Miami a couple weeks ago where he went 17-33 against the Miami secondary, which has one and a half good players. Cam Kinchins is really good. James Williams is a really good athlete who, who is still uh, finding his way as far as being an NFL prospect. Um but Tez Walker just getting open and find and, and being open by five yards kind of saved them in that game, um, which was up and down. But then they lose two games in a row. Um, they they play down to the competition. Some of this is just Mac Brown specials, obviously. Um, but is is there any sort of stock watch here with Drake May? Oh yeah, absolutely. And the thing about these two quarterbacks, they're more so one A and one B for me. It really just depends on which one you like. On a certain day, there will be some guys that like Caleb this day, and there will be some guys that like Drake right. May a certain day. But I always thought the difference as far as in their draft stock was a little bit overblown as far as Caleb being put on a pedestal. Coming into the year, there were some people that did prefer Drake May and just as far as the right. upside that he has. Still are. Here. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems that gap seems to be closing even more here lately. Um, but with Drake May, you're going to hear the name Justin Herbert a lot with him. And it's funny yeah. just seeing Drake up close. Like he's not as tall as Herbert, but as far as the body, the build, and then just the arm, they're very similar. They wear the same number, have the same hair. It's just funny how many <laughs> parallels they do have. But I've been fortunate enough to see Drake three times in person now. And you're spot on as far as him just having these long stretches of just like, man, what were you looking at here and there? But he'll have yeah. four to five 
plays a game of where he reminds you like, oh, yeah, I'm a potential number one overall pick candidate. Yep. So just seeing him throw in person, like he has all the arm strength that you want in the position. He's a very, very mobile guy. He's very underrated as far as his mobility. He has some plays in the Miami game of where you're like, wow, he has a lot of wild plays in that game. And then Tez Walker coming back, he's really unlocked the down the field dimension as far as the aspect um, in that offense. So he has a lot of characteristics and attributes that you want in the number one overall pick. And it's still kind of TBD as far as who's going to be the number one overall pick. And it's still kind of unraveling. It's going to unravel itself as we get closer to draft season. But it's not a foregone conclusion that Caleb is going to go number one overall. So that's why I say I think it's more so 1A and 1B with both of these players. Who's taking quarterback out of the draft, out of the equation, excuse me, and just player, just the best player in the draft. Is it Caleb Williams or is it Marvin Harrison or is it Brock Bowers? Is it one of these tackles? Like if you're just, I know quarterback always has to go first overall when there's a good one. The second pick will always be a quarterback if there's a good one. That is how this draft works. But like on a, on a talent basis, if you're just ranking the actual talent of the players, is Caleb, are Caleb Williams and Drake made the two best players in this draft or, or are there, are there, would, is Marvin Harrison better at his job than Caleb Williams is at his? So I'll be surprised, and I wouldn't say any order. I think we're going to get a quarterback going one, but it wouldn't surprise me um, if. Well, I wish I would. I will say, excuse me, if it. So, I'll put it this way: quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, 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 wide receiver. Like any order with quarterback at the top, (laughs) I think that's how it's going to go. But I would be shocked if the first three picks are not Williams, May. And Harrison in some order that starts with the quarterback first. I think those are your top three players in the draft. It's a very heavy offensive draft at the top. Like you have those three, you have Brock Bowers. um, And then after that, you get into the defensive guys. And then also the tackles as well. Olu Pashanu, Joe Alden, Notre Dame. Then after that, I mean, this draft is begging for a defensive player to step up as far as being the guy. There isn't an Aiden Hutchinson or, you know, a Kayvon Thibodeau or somebody like that that just had that wow season, that wow final season going into the draft so it's a very offensive centric draft inside of the first five or six picks so but like i said i think it's going to be one of those three guys at the top of the draft but starting with the quarterback i would be surprised if it's not uh, williams may at the top and then harrison to follow but as far as the best overall talent i have to go with marvin harrison jr man like in my scouting report i wrote that this dude and so in the scouting community we have what's called a statue builder a statue builder is a guy that you think could have a statue outside of the stadium 30 years from now. I think this dude is a statue builder, like gold jacket potential. Uh, this is the best receiver prospect we've seen since Calvin Johnson coming out in 2007 wow. when he went number two overall. And it wouldn't surprise me if he challenges that feat going number two overall. That's the highest we've seen since Keyshawn in 96. Yeah. I believe it was when he went number one overall. I don't think Marvin's going to go number one just because there is going to be a quarterback at the top, whoever gets number one overall. But like, as soon as he hears his name on draft night, I think he's going to be a top five receiver in the NFL. Like I'm that confident he's going to be that good in the NFL. Like just watching him on tape and Ohio state, they've had some struggles at quarterback this year. That's not a secret at all, but he's still been able to produce. And I think that's the sign of an elite talent. Like this is an elite, elite type of wide receiver, better than Jamar chase, um, better than any wide receiver prospect we've seen. AJ green has been my comparison for him. I think he's very similar to AJ green. Um, but I think he's a little bit better of a prospect than what A.J. Green was coming out in 2011, I believe it was, when him and Julio were coming out together. So, I mean, I could talk on and on about this dude uh, forever and ever, but he, he's really, really special, Kevin. I think that highly of Marvin Harrison Jr. 
he could even possibly, if they get the second and third overall pick, possibly overcome the stench of the Chicago Bears franchise. Possibly. Let's not go crazy, but I'm just saying, <laughs> if that happens, they might be able to overcome that. Um, second tier of quarterbacks, before we get you out of here, uh, we'll, we'll start with this question. The third best quarterback in this draft is who? It's Shador Sanders of Colorado. Uh, I don't think he's going to come out. I don't think we're going to see Shador this year, and I don't have any inside information. Um, I'm not going to do any digging on that until after the year, of course, when they have to come out. I think it's the second week of January they have to make their official declarations for everything. Um, but as far as him coming out, I don't think we're going to see Shador this year. So as far as guys who I think are going to come out, it would be J.J. McCarthy of Michigan. And his season starts this week. They play Penn State this yep. week. Um, we know the back stretch of the year, the back three games of the season is really where Michigan quarterback season starts when they play Penn State. Uh, Ohio State, of course, the last game of the year, that's going to be the one that everybody has a lot of eyes on. So these last few games are going to be very vital for J.J. McCarthy. But I think as we get closer to the draft, he's going to be the one that I think a lot of people start to spotlight a little bit more, especially if he plays really well down the back stretch of the season. Is that when we say third best quarterback in this draft, is that pick 12 or is that pick 35? That, I'm like, what, what range is the third best quarterback in this draft going to go? It's tough without knowing the draft order, but I think pick 12 is very fair just because it seems yeah. like, man, there's so many teams that need a quarterback this year, whether yeah. they have an old veteran that gets hurt all the time or just somebody that's just not getting the job done and they need a quarterback yeah. like the Raiders, the Giants, or somebody like that. Uh, I think the Giants are going to be closer to the top, but somebody like the Raiders that could be in that <laughs> 8 to 12 range, they're definitely in the quarterback market. Incredible. Jordan Reed, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. So glad to finally make content with you, and I'll see you around. Absolutely. Thanks as always, Kevin.